You're listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast. We bring young agrarians and their mentors together in conversation around the challenges and the joys of life in agriculture. The average age of the American farmer is 58 years old and rising. In order to rejuvenate our fields and rangelands with a new generation of farmers, ranchers, and land stewards, we need to talk about mentorship. We need to talk about effective land transition. We need to explore what it means to apply regenerative values not only with the land, but also with the people who tend it. Together, we can build thriving ecosystems and an abundant future. My name is Ariel Bobbitt. And my name is Shauna Burhans, and we'll be facilitating these conversations. We are Regeneration Rising. 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 My name is Deborah Clark. My husband, Emery Birdwell, and I ranch in Clay County. We have a stalker operation. And uh, one of my first memories, I can tell you, one of my very first memories was moving to the ranch. And I could take you to the exact spot where I parked the tractor and looked down on my husband and our hand at the time, Callan, as they were roping cattle and doctoring some sick cattle. And I realized at that moment in time that my life had forever changed. I was supposed to be the next uh, president of the Power and Communication Contractors Association. Uh, That's in telecom, be the first woman president and had changed careers and but kept still trying to dabble in that a little bit or keep my feet wet in it in case an opportunity came along and again I can tell you take you to that spot where the realization hit me that I would never go back to that life that I would always for at least the immediate future be in ranching. So my name is Katie Scarborough. I also live in Henrietta, Texas currently, and I manage a ranch and I'm starting up a beef company there um, on the ranch, small scale initially. So um, I guess my, I don't really have a first memory (laughs) um, because I grew up on a ranch and, um, you know, for a while it was all I ever knew. And, um, you know, I guess I had the opposite experience as Deborah because I guess leaving home and going out, it became a process of, you know, what do I actually want to do? I love the land. I love this, but there's a big world out there. And um, kind of along the path in college realized, you know, this is who I am. This is what I love. Um, so I have a passion for. And it's kind of all I've ever really known. Um, and just, I can't imagine viewing the world, um, you know, without having, without having that connection with the land and producing um, food for other people and um, just living in harmony with the land. When you say that connection to the land, can you give me another example, what you really mean by connection to the land? Oh man, that's, um, that's really hard to put into words. Um, I guess, so, and how I was raised, too, it was very intimate in that um, we hunted a lot, we were out a lot, it wasn't like, we didn't do chores and then go inside, like, we weren't the kids that, you know, get outside and do your chores, you know, everybody always talks about, oh, I limited my kids' TV shows, no, we were always, always out there, always part of it, Um, it's my home, like, outside is my home, just being out there, and, 
just the peace and the serenity out there. Like we, we used to do this thing when we were kids. We would, uh, we would play hide and seek, like actually in the tall grass, because I grew up in the tall grass prairies in Oklahoma. And like just laying down in the grass, like with my dad and my brother, like as a child and just having that, like just serenity from that and just peace from that. And um, it just, it still gives me goosebumps. I just, I love it. Love well, it. Katie and I have met about nine months ago or so, but we've really just gotten to know each other in the last 48 hours. <laughs> and uh, it is, uh, the hair stands up on my arms when we start talking because of the many commonalities that we have. So when I ask her about the connection to the land and she immediately starts talking, I'm, I'm tearing up now, <laughs> about that intimate connection, that word, I use that word when I first started getting to know our land and I, I call it getting intimate with the land. And what I did was go out and start to identify grass and forbs and forage so that I would actually get to know what was on our land. And, and so again, it's that it, it's, she said the word intimate and it just harkens back to 15 years ago when that was my first experience of learning what our land was. Well, from, from the other side of that, I guess, getting to know Deborah and being around Deborah, I find it to be very refreshing and rejuvenating to see somebody that's chosen the way of life and not just chosen it, but loves it. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously loves it and your ability to be so open and so embracing of that at a later point in life and immersing yourself so fully, I mean, in a sacrificial manner Mm -hmm. with Emery. Um, It's just truly astounding to me and just very, very admirable. Thank you. Thank you. makes me feel good makes this old gray-haired woman feel good (laughs) oh you know I'm an old hippie so uh (laughs) so part of this was like coming home I I celebrated the first Earth Day on the SMU campus in 1970 uh on that Friday afternoon I I can't won't tell you the details it was a long time ago and we just won't go there but it did feel like and even though I've worked outside in my life and construction was outside and those kinds of things it wasn't the same so coming back and doing this with Emory truly it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do Uh, having had a couple of different careers this one requires a total engagement an engagement that often is not under my control. Weathers, market, cattle, um, all those kinds of things are something that in a different business context, I found uh, the ability to perhaps be able to control the factors in a way that I, I've learned that cannot be done in ranching and farming. That's... That's very true. And I think the the day-to-day and just what that looks dynamically, the variables you can't control, what it requires of you physically, mentally, um, and in the same day, what it may require of you physically and mentally. I mean, if something's, you know, the cattle need something or some weather, you have to go out and handle that. Then you may come in, you're subject to a market. You don't know where it's gone in the past six hours, but you need to make a move to protect yourself, to, you know, make an advantageous business decision let's say for a contract something like that and you may have been outside for eight hours already and then you got to go inside and you know make these make these good decisions um but I think honestly that's one of the best things the most rewarding thing is you get I mean obviously you get to take care of something you love you get to not just take care of it but improve um like cultivate those resources but at the same time 
you have to be so you have to be intellectually developed to be a rancher and i think that's often so overlooked from you know business decisions people management skills um all of those things on top of your physical demands and just balancing all of that it's just it's like the best of both worlds you really hit upon it because i think that the common uh conception that we have a perception that we have of ranching and farming is that it's simply a manual job when the complexities of farming and ranching are so deep and so interwoven Mm -hmm. that we as an outsider i didn't appreciate it before i became part of it Mm -hmm. i think i think from my perspective too it was you know so growing up doing it we were manual labor we were manual labor (laughs) but moving into it my, my my parents you know love this they they expected big things of us early on and you know we had to take a loan from my dad we had to pay the man interest and we had to be charged feed and i remember sitting there as a little kid you know we didn't have phones yet we had the little dinky little calculator deals and we'd calculate out dad that is so mean for you to charge me feed you know that is mean and now as an adult you know i'm coming in and as we just gained that perspective of slowly coming into it. I had no idea what I was a part of as a child. I saw the day-to-day. I didn't look at the economic concerns, the social concerns within a community, all of the environmental concerns. I just thought, we feed cattle, we move cattle, we take care of cattle, and that's all there is to it. And it's, you have to be a jack of all trades, Mm -hmm. (laughs) essentially, um, for lack of a better term there, um, to be able to ranch and to do it well, to ranch well. Well, I think building on one of the things you said, though, I, I do as a, as a criticism or as a critical observation about ranching and farming, one of the things that we do as participants in this endeavor is that we fool ourselves in terms of the profitability of our enterprises. Mm-hmm. We, uh, and I know that this is trite, and I know it's not uh, all over, but we really do pay for a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And when that realized, that was one of the things that I, I compared and contrasted so much with my prior life. When I, we got into this ranching thing and I looked at my husband and I said, where's the profit? And, and he actually thought that the profits we made in telecom, telecom were profligate. You know, they were sinful. They were, well, how can you dare make that much money? And I'm like getting over here in the ranching side of the uh, ranching side and going, well, where where is it? <laughs> you know, well, you've got to have profitability. There, there are places out there, though, that really changed my mind and helped me look at ranching as a business. One of those was ranching for profit. And when mm-hmm. I took ranching for profit, uh, I suddenly realized, oh, yes, this is a business enterprise. And I could wrap my hands around it and my mind around it in a way that it was not just some creative, carefree mm-hmm. uh, pain of one's lifestyle. Absolutely. And to go on that too, I think that can be, it's number one, it's sometimes lack of effort on mm-hmm. some, you know, some parts or maybe chosen blindness. I really just don't want to know what the actual, the hemorrhaging may be in certain situations. But also I think, you know, um, some people needing accessibility to training for those skills, um, especially in generation to generation. You know, we see that coming on of, well, we shouldn't do something like this just because my dad did it like this. What does it cost me mm-hmm. to do it like that? Mm-hmm. Or what does it reward me to do it like that? Um, and I think that can be really hard once you actually put numbers to it. But I think it's so important if you want to truly manage that resource, you have to know the numbers. You have to make the best decisions possible or Otherwise, you know, you're, you're going to lose control of the resource. You're going to see fragmentation and all those other issues. 
Well, and I, I'm smiling right now because that's another thing that Katie has inspired me to do. <laughs> I told Emery this morning, I'm coming home and re-looking at all of the financials because Katie, and again, in the first 48 hours, we were talking about ranchers and folks who do it just to, to break even at best, at best. And I'm kind of sitting there going, well, okay, you mean it, we need to do more than just break even? <laughs> so she just this whole thought that she's put in my mind, and, and Katie is very knowledgeable uh, about her business and to a point that I'm I'm kind of scratching my head going okay I haven't looked at that in a while I need to go home and look at that so in that isn't that amazing that this younger generation is reminding me about what I'm need to be doing so thank you Katie I'm going home Emery thanks you as well oh, well we'll see <laughs> yeah exactly exactly Yeah, so my story, I guess, is the opposite of what you see in a lot of agriculture. Um, So I ranch, and my husband does not. Um, He, you know, I guess his closest tie to ag, his grandparents did have a dairy, and he grew up on what was the dairy before. So, I mean, he was, you know, grew up kind of out on land, but not with, you know, a deeper understanding, if you will. Um, But uh, he grew up with an appreciation for it. So I think that was a good you know, starting point for us. Um, it is, yeah, it's very different. It's very hard, especially when you need to live in rural places uh, to be able to manage, you know, anything of scale or um, to be involved with uh, the kind of producers you want to be around or organizations. Um, I mean, you got the, it's rural. That's where it is. And, um, I mean, to be honest, I would not be able to do what I would am if my husband was not as selfless and sacrificial as he is um i mean it's completely true when you get married one of your careers is going to be ahead of the other or you know more i guess more sacrifices made and he made huge sacrifices he quit his job for us to be able to move um for me to take this position and couldn't there, i mean there's nothing <laughs> around really um too much and great community but not a whole lot of you know economic development there but um yeah and he commutes two hours to his job he's a firefighter so he has to work every third day but he commutes two hours one way for his job and um but at the same time what's really awesome is the platform that it's given me to um share that passion with him and I mean, everybody should be interested in their food. Everybody should be interested in those things. Those are human issues. Um, so his his connection with that and watching him learn to love and, like, his mind just kind of open up as he's exposed to more, uh, it's amazing. It's brought an, a level of connectedness in our marriage rather than us kind of both just coming with these preconceived notions about something or, oh, I know about this just as you do I mean he's very you know I want to learn and I want to grow in that together so yeah in mine and Emery's relationship uh, the first half of our marriage my my career took precedence Emery stayed home took I mean he was a rancher but again this was part of my understanding and being respectful of his position he had to handle the children and help them get to their rodeos and train their horses i was always on the road with the construction crews 
And that went on for about 15 years until we had this opportunity that came out of a, a strange place, but this opportunity when I left my business and we had the opportunity to buy the ranch together. But women, I will tell you that due to the the difficulty in learning what we were doing on the ranch, some of those drought years, some of those very lean, if not losing, financial years, I found myself mentally ticking off when we get to year 15, I will have given him back what he gave me, Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to be free again. So in all honesty, there was that underlying mental menace that I'm going to get even someday, and I'm going to break free again. And I'm 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 embarrassed to say that that I no. that that would have been some kind of factor in there, but when I realized that th- this came about through holistic management and sitting down and we had uh, peripherally in the first fifteen in the first years that we moved to the ranch had done the holistic goal and some things like that, but not really put a lot of heart in them. So after I took ranching for profit, then some years later I came back and did the whole holistic management uh, exercise again to be a certified educator. Emery and I sat down and I asked him, would he sit with me and let us develop a holistic goal? And there was, I could go on into how that all happened, but the bottom line of that is that that holistic goal is typed up on a piece of paper and, and tacked to the wall behind my computer. And what I realized at first, I had to listen to him, to hear his words, to use his words, and to meld those with what my hopes and aspirations were. And I will share with you that that's what saved our relationship in a very, very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And that what has grown out of that is learning to be true partners when we're in our 60s, in our 50s and 60s. And that is what can come out of whatever generational, whatever decade you are, that is what can come about when you really sit down and share your goals, your visions, and your aspirations with one another. Mm-hmm. So I thank him for that. And um, I'm not mentally ticking off any more years. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, well, I'm, here you are still. Yeah, 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 I'm over that. Uh, the hardest thing was when things do get tough. And uh, off, some of you have heard a lot about, because I talk about it a lot, our Armageddon year where we lost, our, we lost Omar. And Emory had three back surgeries in 18 months. And the market went, you couldn't, in 15, you couldn't, in the spring of 16, you couldn't sell a calf for what you bought it for in the fall of 15. And at, at the scale we were running that, you can put the zeros after how much money we lost. It was just one thing right after the other. And so that hardest lesson, again, that for me, was knowing that we were committed to the regeneration, to the um, improvement of this piece of land, and to one another, and that's what kept us together. I don't. I I will get on my soapbox, and share with you that I do believe if you're in a partnership, whether it's a marriage or with an employer or with a partner partner, you've got to have a goal that that you are both committed to. Mm-hmm. I. I would say something very, very similar in which, not that I have a ton of wisdom at my young, very young (laughs) age. I think you do. Um, No, (laughs) no, no. Um, I would say something very similar in that, um, and again, I think being so young, it's hard to 
think you can't fathom long-term patterns and effect. You think you can, but <laughs> you have no idea. Like, I have no idea. Um, so keeping the thought of 60 years in front of me, maybe 80 years in front of me, that'd be kind of wild, but it's hard to remember that, I mean, that's a reality. If I'm blessed and if I'm fortunate, that's a reality. And my decisions that I'm making now and worrying about profit now is that profit 60 years now, from now? You know, thinking about that larger picture. And in that, too, remembering to find, like, joy and to stop and smell the roses. Because I try to just, it's like a competition with myself every day. And I feel like I've got to get the jump. I've got to get ahead. I have this, you know, these opportunities, this knowledge, this whatever I've picked up. I need to implement it. And I have to do it at my absolute best. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's that question of, you know, does it, is this bringing me joy? Is this serving the greater good? You know, um, what are we called to do in life? So I think keeping that in mind, but also in the context of it doesn't happen today and it certainly doesn't need to tomorrow, but in 60 years it should probably happen. <laughs> so. <laughs> I think, you know, now here, short-term, what am I looking most forward to? Um, it's just growing my family, um, growing in my marriage. Um, you know, I think I'm still young enough that I'm building a foundation, and, uh, you know, my family will absolutely be that. So I think in the short-term, and I need to remember that. Um, so absolutely, right now. That's, that's really what I am most looking forward to. Now, absolutely, I, you know, I have responsibilities of you know, land and assets and things like that, and I want to do the very best I can to learn as much as I can from that, but um, to remember to live life at the same time um, so that I you know, don't have everything written down on my agenda. So, um, yeah, I would say that. And then I guess end goal... Um, I don't know how, but I just want to do something uh, that will leave leave lands, as much land as I could touch in a better way. Um, not just, you know, not just in a conserved manner, but in a better, more productive manner. Um, and to just kind of set some people on fire for that. Just to, like, I guess, share the movement, grow the movement. It has to happen. So... I don't know how I'm going to do that, but apparently I have 60 years, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> or longer. Yeah, or longer. Or longer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I come from a, a context that I believe we're put here for a reason. And um, you can call that force back there anything you want that fits your faith realm. And I, my hope and my dream is that I'm hearing what I'm I'm hearing and I'm acting on what I'm supposed to be doing, why I was sent here. I don't think it was a mistake that uh, the dot-com bubble burst in 2000 and I left telecom and I ended up in Clay County with my husband on a ranch. I don't think it was an accident. And I don't think that through each one of those hard years or those successful years that um, I wasn't being called to still do something more. So as... I enter into this phase of my life at 67 years old, I don't want to live out of scarcity. 
and I don't want to live out of the fact that the clock is ticking and I don't have much longer. I still want to come out of it as if I'm 23 years old. And what have I not accomplished that I was sent here to do? So those are my hopes and dreams, that I can stay fresh and relevant and, um, and, and create that place in Clay County where it's a place where people want to come and they want to learn from it. Well, you certainly you do that wonderfully. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you. You know, this is like, I, I tell you, I always get stumped when somebody says, what's your favorite movie? And it's like, yeah. I've never seen a movie in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a clue what yeah. it is. Um, okay, I, I will tell you, I'm reading right now the, the Call of the the call of the reed warbler that's a little bit of a tongue twister there and it was hard for me to get into but i'm reading it now and i just uh, i just i feel the adrenaline rush as i'm reading it Mm -hmm. um i will share a book that i read that has nothing to do with agriculture per se but it's wallace stegner's uh angle of repose and it was a pulitzer prize winning book i think back in the 70s and it talks about relationship and building of the West. But I will, sh- I will tell you if you get a chance to read it, it is one that I can hardly say the title without tearing up. It just, it's not that it's a, it's a challenging book, but it's challenging in a way about teaching us about relationships. Katie, if you've got yeah. something to jump in here on, um, I'm still thinking. I'm trying to narrow. I'm one of those people that just buys a whole bunch of books at a time so there's there's always an ongoing list um right now I guess and we kind of talked about them a little bit uh David Montgomery and Anne Bickley I'm in love with them right now they are so wonderful so wonderful um and their newest book which of course the title is escaping my mind right now about the microbiome health of the planet and us anyways that's a really good one another one kind of along the same line that I'm reading right now guess it's similar is um harmony with horses and it was written by um ray hunt and it is not about your horse it's about filtering kind of your own heart and your own soul and you know what horses are perceptive enough to pick up from us so it is really good and it's basically about what you're bringing and like what you're putting out into this world um in the form of horses so ray hunt was a wise man I have one more that I'd like to share, and I was looking at the first of the year just to just uh, googling books and progressive uh, just uh, books, and I found one that on all on my own. And I love this sometimes when you find something <laughs> all on your own, right? Yeah. So this is all on my own, all on my own, and Google uh, it came up with a book called Grounded by Diana Butler Bass, and it is a spiritual book. It is a religious book. But as I read it, there are all these, she takes these similarities, uh, a lot like Nikki Silvestri did a while ago, but she's taking it from a, a, found a religious perspective about soil, about community, about roots, about water, about all of the ecosystem mm. processes. And as I read it, I, I mean, and like right now I can tell you that, that like the hair on my arms is standing up. It was like, <sighs> am I taking a workshop on soil health? Or am I reading about a workshop on soul, S-O-U-L, health? Mm-hmm. And then I can't tell you how many times if you're typing in soil health, that soul, S-O-U-L, health comes, 
comes up as if as if in an autocorrect. Uh, so that's when I would strongly recommend to someone who wants to blend all of the mm-hmm. sides of their, their life right now. It's grounded yeah. by Diana Butler Bass. Yeah. Might be a connection there, soil and soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she makes it very well. Yeah. Yeah, she, ta- yeah. she makes that connection very well. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Music by Kevro. We recorded some great conversations at the Grassfed Exchange Conference earlier this month that we're excited to share with you. Our next episode will feature Joe and Julie Morris of Morris Grassfed in San Juan Batista, California. Julie Finnegan Morris is also the author of Exit Strategy, a novel about an E. coli outbreak at a large organic salad company. They'll be joined by Marissa Taylor of Lone Tree Ranch in Wyoming. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.